0: Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation.
1: Thank you for joining us. Take a seat at the table. In this episode, we will be talking about autism, the signs we may have missed, and some of the things we saw early on. Seated tonight, I have Jen Dunn from Vancouver, British Columbia. Hello, Rachel Flanagan from St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, everyone. Jamie Ramos from Denver, Colorado. Hello. Kim McIsaac from Boston, Massachusetts. Hi. And Tabitha Cabrera, me from Phoenix, Arizona. Hi, everybody. So tonight we wanted to start out talking about, you know, what threads we have as the five ladies here. All of our children are autistic and the early signs that we potentially missed or weren't really something that we found on checklists when we were Googling on the internet, basically. So for me, I have two children on the spectrum. My son, Nixon, is four and a half, and my daughter, Nora, is two years old. With our son, we knew nothing about autism. Uh, We knew nothing about what we were looking for um, in regards to early signs and he did not have the classic signs of autism that you find on a checklist he lost language was the major indicator for us at, looking back i think there were some other signs that we didn't really notice like he used to love to stare at fans he used to play line up some of his toys we always thought it was just organizing his toys he loves to look at things from the surface his eye up to the level of, of the toy and I think, you know, we were cautious at the beginning with getting him diagnosed, which now I realize was so stupid. (laughs) But uh, we were worried about him having a label. We were worried about them misdiagnosing him because he was so young. We were new to the autism world. And so we kind of didn't rush to get him diagnosed. We did get him on waiting lists. There's extensive waiting lists in Phoenix for diagnosis. And then our daughter with her, we knew what we were doing. And so she completely lost all of her language around 18 months, no sounds, no words, no nothing. She developed typically, she sat, walked, crawled, talked on time. Um, We didn't really have a worry about her until uh, the dramatic change at 18 months. She quit answering to her name. She quit being engaged with us, had trouble sleeping, all of the things that you might find on a checklist, she did. <laughs> she got diagnosed right before her second birthday. She definitely has more classic signs. Nixon now, he has more things that he did. Once he developed language, we could see more. He would he scripted um, repeated things from television shows and different movies and us. He also runs back and forth, which is a stimming behavior for him, a repeated behavior for comfort, which we didn't realize at the beginning was a STEM but he loves to run back and forth, move his body, jump up and down, those kind of things. He also doesn't have really conversational language. He's working on it, but asking questions are hard for him. He just recently learned his own name and he's learning our names. He knows his dad's name now and he calls me Taba because that's what my <laughs> husband calls me. So sometimes he'll he'll call, call me Taba from the downstairs when I'm upstairs. So that was pretty much us. Our early signs with him were confusing. They were definitely confusing and we had a lot of people telling us that we should get him evaluated. And we just didn't see what we were finding on the internet to match him specifically. And it was pretty hard uh, wait. So it took us uh, over a year to get him diagnosed. What about you, Kim?
2: So obviously it was a little different with her because it was almost 22 years ago. She um, had a lot of the classic signs that they weren't necessarily on the checklist at that time. Like going back now, I, I definitely see more signs, but she developed pretty typically up until about close to a year. Then she kind of stopped. She stalled. She stopped responding to her name. We thought she was deaf at first. She did a lot of you know, had a lot of sensory things. She did start, you know, her first like five or six words that she said, and those kind of just stalled. And eventually they kind of just faded away. Uh, We were more focused at that time on her hearing because we thought that she was deaf. We brought her for two hearing tests. They were both inclusive. They couldn't tell if she could hear or not. She also had like chronic ear infections from eight to 13 months. So we also thought she could have had some kind of damage from all the ear infections that she had she had had but as time went on and she still didn't develop words we started becoming more concerned and she had a lot of behaviors that I guess you would kind of call odd behaviors but like they weren't concerning like she would spin around in circles or she would like bang the cabinets things like that she didn't line up her toys like classic autism does she used to do like a half circle in front of her and then eventually she made a full circle so she would be in the middle and she'd make a circle around her but all these things isolated weren't really concerning but everything together was we kind of had to push for early intervention the doctor wanted to wait till she was two she also like her sleep started getting off uh her Eating became picky, but it's hard because she was also a one and a half. So they kind of matched the beat of their own drum, all one and a half run a daycare. You see all different kinds of, you know, kids stepping on toys instead of playing with them and, you know, all these other things. So we finally got the referral to her um, early intervention. Um, It was a nine month wait to get her into Children's Hospital for an evaluation. Luckily, they had a cancellation and we got in earlier. We saw a whole team of specialists that saw her in you know, ultimately they diagnosed her with autism. It was autism, PDD slash autism at the time, because she was so young in Boston. They don't really use the terms. They don't use numbers. It's just autism until they can kind of see where they, uh, where they end up. And eventually they took away the PDD diagnosis and she just had autism. Kim, what is PDD? Pervasive developmental disorder yeah so basically yeah i think it's kind of faded away now they used to use it almost like if you didn't meet enough of the criteria Mm -hmm. not necessarily high functioning you still had a lot of the developmental delays but just you know like the rigidity the repetitive behaviors like all those type of things you didn't meet enough of the criteria to be labeled with autism obviously the criteria has changed over the years yeah, the DSM
1: changed it from PDD, Asperger's, and autism. So I think what, there's
2: one or two other ones too. RETS syndrome, I think, is one of them too. RETS is a genetic disorder
1: that you can that has similar characteristics, and they look at it generally when you have a regression, which I didn't know. Sometimes it's a different category, I think, than autism, but it's similar characteristics of autism. And so they changed it from autism, PDD, and Asperger's to level one, two, and three. So level, yeah, level one is what Asperger's used to be. Level two mm-hmm. is PDD and level three right. is
2: so autism. So they don't, they don't use the levels in Boston at all. Oh, they still don't. Nope, they still don't. I think that yeah. because they're more for insurance, like they're more for purposes of therapy. They're not really yeah. for purposes of medical. And I think that they don't want to put somebody in a certain category at the age of 18 months or 2 right yeah. but yeah. i mean clearly she's severe she's nonverbal but and Phoenix is the opposite. So they always use the levels
1: here and it's for services purposes. They, and I think certain countries still use
2: PDD and autism and Asperger's. So, so she was young for the time, not necessarily for now, but she was young for the time. So I think that's why they just, they basically gave, it was like PDD slash autism. Yeah. And
1: and one thing that's fascinating about your story is that she was the first kiddo in Boston to receive
2: what she was the first child in massachusetts to receive funding through early intervention for aba therapy which i only found out like three years ago like i didn't know that at the time Yeah, Um, yeah so yeah pretty crazy so that's what they said they just said do aba and they said okay and until she can get into school. And, you know, that we just kind of started the journey with the We were already getting therapies through early intervention. So she was already getting therapies prior to the diagnosis. So, like, that kind of didn't change. But we added the um, ABA until she could get into uh, preschool, yeah. like a developmental yeah. preschool.
1: What about you, Jamie? How did it go with your son?
0: My son's really similar to your son, Tabitha, to Nixon. He was hitting all the milestones, like the baby checklist milestones, up until about, like, at a year there was a couple and then 18 months that's more when like the verbal milestones he wasn't hitting and he did begin speaking but it wasn't very much he would say the dog's name he would say like mom dad really basic things I think milk baba things like that but around 18 months for a couple months he was like silent and I was concerned about that, but then some of those little things he would still say. And at that time we had my nieces and nephews visiting and I just thought, I was like, well, maybe it's because there's a lot of other kids around and he was always kind of different around other people. So I was like, maybe it's just overwhelming for him. him." The lack of communication probably should have been my first sign. And at his 18 month appointment, I brought that up to the pediatrician. And she was like, well, that can just happen. He's hitting all these other milestones. And he was my first. So I just didn't know. I had been around a lot of other kids in my life, but I never paid attention to any of that stuff. I wasn't checking off milestone lists for the kids I babysat. At his two-year appointment, that was the first time in a new doctor because we had switched insurance. So we had to switch pediatricians. And that doctor I didn't realize filling out the milestone paperwork that it was like directly for autism. And we go in and he had failed or whatever you want to say. And that took over the whole appointment. And that appointment, there should have been a lot of signs to me. For one, I had to bring my husband. I couldn't (laughs) handle my two-year-old on my own. He was just like a really fussy child and not always at home, but around other people and out in different places. And then the whole time I wanted to talk about sleep issues we were having which the doctor didn't say to me then and I didn't really get to talk about because she kept we we had to do another autism test in the room and so I didn't get to talk about like the sleep issues and stuff as much as I wanted to we didn't talk about his health at all really and I was just mad about that I was like what is this doctor doing she's trying to push autism on us and even then he kind of tested like not on but like borderline so she's like let's just get him evaluated and so then we were sent through the school system, which I didn't realize at the time that we could have gone to like a developmental pediatrician or through Children's Hospital, which is really our only de- developmental pediatrician in the area would be through Children's Hospital, which is like an insane wait. So we go home, we're on some wait list. we eventually get a call for a referral months later, his birthday is at the end of January, I think in April, we ended up getting like a it wasn't even really an evaluation, it was just kind of like, a. we met with pathologist a speech pathologist and like a special education lady and they just kind of observed him and they thought he was okay he was behind in speech and so they said to watch that and they said give us a call if you're worried again as he approaches three I'm not gonna lie in my head I was like okay great it's not autism because honestly I just didn't know how to deal with that I wasn't even concerned about that so it being thrown at me was like ah then around three, he still wasn't talking much. So I called them back specifically just for speech, there was no conversation, he would say kind of some stuff, he would repeat a couple things. But that was it. And so we go back and then at the speech consultation, he wouldn't even like sit or participate. So it became okay, well, let's meet up for an evaluation. And so we went through that with the school district. And really not until he was three and a half or so did we get like an evaluation through them. And they even decided that once again, they thought he was borderline. He tested like one point onto their system and they did do an ADOS with him, which is a test for autism, but they decided as a whole, they didn't think it was autism. They thought it was a developmental delay And they just had him do early intervention at a developmental preschool early. Eventually, I had a special education teacher come up to me. She's like, it's autism." (laughs) like I mentioned all this back and forth. She goes, oh, it's autism. I was like, oh, okay," (laughs) which still kind of crushed me. But someone needed to say that to me because people kept not saying that to me. So outside of that, he had... great uh gross motor skills his fine motor skills were always hard he did the same thing as Nixon he ran back and forth he lined up cars he would spin wheels on like his big cars instead of riding them and just watch them he loved fans as a baby Mm. he was quiet he wasn't very interactive with other people you had to be really in his face like tickling him he hated new places and he had just always been awkward with different people. Some people he'd warm up to, you know, people try to play peekaboo with babies and stuff. If it wasn't one of us, he wasn't participating. There wasn't any flapping or spinning or the, the typical things that I thought autism was, um, he was cuddly, all that stuff. Like, so it was, yeah. I just didn't My know son
1: it. too. My son's a big cuddle bug. Both my kids are. Yeah. That's one of the things that you think aren't familiar with autism is that your children, children with autism don't like to be hugged or touched or, which isn't necessarily true for sure. Well,
0: it's like one of the first pamphlets we've got for an ABA clinic that they were referring us to, which I never called because of the pamphlet was this kid <laughs> like strangely in the corner, like... Mm-hmm you know, looking and it was like, like, don't touch me kind of thing. I'm like, well, that's not my kid. And the stereotype of autism actually made me uncomfortable about it. So yeah, it was just not the things I expected. And now we're at a place where he has very recently become conversational. It's on his terms and things he likes, but he's very similar to Nixon. He didn't really know his name, he would refer to himself in the third person. He still pretty much does that. He doesn't say I or me. Um, He's just learning our names because he's practicing at therapy for emergency purposes. So communication should have been my biggest thing, but most people were like, oh, he's a boy. It will come later. I believed it because I was in denial and I didn't want the label at first either. I didn't really understand. And, or Mm -hmm. I was like, if he gets that label, it's for life. And, you know, I just needed to realize, well, He's autistic and that's for life. That's who he is.
1: What about you, Rachel? And your little sweetie girl.
3: So Celia is currently six. She uh, was diagnosed just around her fourth birthday. And when we went to her four-year well check, I had this whole list of things to talk about with the doctor and we went through everything. And by the end of a very long appointment, Celia had been like in the stirrups on the table and had been under every chair and opened every drawer and had used 13 tongue depressors. And uh, <laughs> she was looking for a grape flavored one, which was a prior doctor. She just had been into everything. She took the cover and the back off the book. And I mean, it was just like mayhem. And at the very end of my list, the doctor said, okay, well, I have a few things I'd like to go over. We need to talk about how Celie is Severely neuroatypical, <laughs> and I just laughed because we were cool. Like, I mean, my kid had looked up her dress. Like, <laughs> was, we were far past bedside traditional bedside <laughs> manner. And anyhow, I asked what in the sam hell that meant, and learned that that means ADHD is there, autism is there. There's there's many things, and eventually that led us to a evaluation and uh, Celia's adopted. And I had known that her siblings struggled with ADHD or autism um, and a host of sort of other diagnosis. So I had mentioned that in the phone call to get scheduled. And anyways, we did the evaluation. We answered all the questions. Billy and I argued through what she could and couldn't do because I was taking these tests very literally, like in the last six months, does she? Has she? Will she? Can she? And Mm -hmm. one of the complicated parts of Celie is that she can and does accomplish certain tasks early in the day. And as she burns out, you know, like has a meltdown and doesn't come back from them completely, she isn't capable of doing that same task. And so I was answering, like, no, or sometimes or whatever. And Billy was answering like, yes, she can. Yes, she can. (laughs) Everything. Mm -hmm. Anyways, we learned that this whole darling bucket of quirks and energy, all of those little idiosyncrasies, like Kim said, maybe isolated are not the end of the world. They're that big of a deal. You just like adjust your sales. But when considered together, autism, So Celie was diagnosed at first with autism and ADHD. Later we added, not we added, we discovered we are helping with depression and anxiety. And now we are changing the diagnosis from ADHD to fetal alcohol syndrome, which a lot of times there's some carryover there too, but it is such a thing to have a girl with autism where like, again, I just thought she was this quirky kid and maybe that's what I'd asked the universe for. And man, I was tired. It was getting harder. The systems were failing. We yeah. actually thought when she had her language regression, um, that it was because we taught her sign language. She preferred it. <laughs> I just didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's yeah. so funny with that too. Cause like, if I think even if Nora would have been our only child and first child, yeah, I still would not have known what I was watching happen before my eyes. <laughs> you know, like she yeah. completely stopped development. And then on top of that lost development. Which is mind blowing to watch happen over a period of time. And for me, I think I was in denial about what was happening with her because I wasn't Mm -hmm. ready to face the fact that I might have two children who had diagnosis. And I don't think I was doing it intentionally. And I love my children just the way they are, but I think I was blatantly oblivious to what was happening for a period of time because I was still processing my son's diagnosis. My son was diagnosed in January of 2020. My daughter was diagnosed in December of 2020. But looking back when you look at it and you're like, what the hell was I,
3: <laughs> what was happening? Was I there? President? tab So like, think oh. about what someone is capable of in a neurotypical way yeah. at nine months. So then when it is or isn't there at 12, and then when it isn't, isn't there at 18, and then isn't, isn't at 24. Like, listen, there are plenty of people like Jamie's story or everybody else's, frankly, that like the people sort of talk you out of these components. And I just wish that I would have trusted my instinct in a different way, because during the diagnosis, the very sure of it, people that were doing her assessment called the school that or the daycare that she was at. And the teachers were like, we know what autism is. Like, she's So they're like, no, I really don't think so. She's very talkative. Well, she scripts everything. And we've watched life skills videos so that she knows what she's doing. She can't nap and you've got her bleaching toys and you don't think that that's a thing. Mm (laughs)
1: Yeah. Oh, Jen, what about you?
3: What
1: was your experience
3: with Kaya? Uh,
4: So I knew early on, I think from the get-go, I just had a feeling. I I don't know why. I think because there wasn't a lot of movement during my pregnancy. Yeah. So she was developing typically, my daughter is turning 11 on April 6th. And she was diagnosed just before her third birthday. And her dad knew at six months, he said, no, you should have, you should get the baby checked. There's, there's something going on with her. He, he was visiting and he walked around her. She was sitting on the ground watching Elmo and he walked in a circle around her and he called her from every angle of, and he said, he said, she's not responding to her name. And I just ignored him. And I got mad. And every time he'd leave for a visit, he said, you should take the baby, you should take the baby to the doctor. And so He knew he has four other typical children and she didn't know her name at six months. She didn't know her name at nine months. She didn't respond to anything, but she walked by a year and she never really slept very well, but she was a baby and do baby sleep. And then when she started school, it was, we did some early start stuff and none of the early start workers thought she was autistic because she was social and she was a girl. And so she did stim though. She did a lot of arm flapping now when I look back on it and a lot of mouth open, you know, flapping Mm -hmm. that. That's tons of pictures and videos I have. I'm like, oh, that's what that is. (laughs) That's what that is. Mm -hmm. But there was one lady that came over. She was from the developmental department and she was the first person that mentioned the word autism to me. And I remember we were, Kaya and I were both sitting on the kitchen table. They were having her do these drop-in things. And she looked up and she said it to me. And she said, but this doesn't mean her life is over. She may still get married and she may still do this. And her name was Christine. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I kindly escorted Christine out of my house. <laughs> and told her to never <laughs> kindly come back to my house. And then I called her the manager the next day. And I went off, how dare this woman say my child has autism. She knew her for 30 minutes. And I mean, and the lady was like, oh, okay. Well, very gentle with me, very gentle. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. um, my <laughs> daughter had autism and Christine <laughs> was right. And I phoned and apologized about two years later. And she said, it's okay. It happens all the time. (laughs) Poor Christine. I wasn't Christine's first time. (laughs) Christine. (laughs) God love
1: Christine. (laughs) God love her.
4: (laughs) To to you, Christine. And um, yeah, so now she's turning 11. And it was really apparent when she started school because she was side by side with peers her own age. And that's when it got really hard to, to see the glaring differences between them. And Kaya didn't speak till she was five, nothing, not a word. She had no babble. There was no mama, no dada. There was nothing. Mama. So well, there's a the mama now. <laughs> Yay. Uh, I,
3: I never oh, okay. realized how multifaceted okay. autism was in the sense of like, when we think of our kids, I think uh-huh. of Kaya having sleep issues, same as Ceely, but also having feeding issues, not the same as Ceely. Like I could go through these lists of all of our kids and it's so interesting to hear the super concise story, but really it is all those things together. Babies do sleep sometimes like yeah. <laughs> babe, kids do yeah. grow up to not use a nookie. Mine doesn't, but some do. And it's interesting to listen to. Well,
4: like Kim, they they did all the hearing tests as well with her, Mm -hmm. which I think is always the first go-to they do. Yeah. Make sure they can hear. Right. And so
3: we're two years in and we have the hearing test scheduled next week at Mayo. (laughs) Two years into
4: diagnosis. Well, I joke that we got in before it became a booming business (laughs) because she was referred and then she was seen within a few months the waitlist here is, is well over a year and a half. I I mean, just like you, Tabitha, the waitlist is a long time for people if they don't go private. And even if they go private, which obviously is out of pocket, you know, it's still a five to six month waitlist. So Mm -hmm. we always got, we got in before it boomed. I have a similar story from
2: what Jen said is the first lady who came out ever from early intervention was this cranky lady, you know, not, not very, like, not just not very pleasant, not very talkative. And she asked all these questions and um, we knew that something obviously wasn't right. You know, we knew there was some kind of delay and all that. Um, And then she said something about autism. And I was like, this lady talking about, because She's nothing like what I had ever heard about autism. And even my my mom was like, no, like all we knew is like the little girl in the corner, nobody could touch her. And she's completely out of touch with with reality or Rain Man. Those like the only two examples. And obviously there wasn't social media and all that stuff to see like, you know all the varying types and plus I feel like it just wasn't as diagnosed at that time anyways and all the other people that worked with her from early intervention were like yeah we don't really see that like she's so social she's so happy Mm -hmm. you know all these things same like what Jen said and um so when we went to get her diagnosed I was pretty confident that she didn't have autism we knew she had sensory processing disorder which really made sense for a lot of her symptoms with the not wanting to wear clothes and not wanting to be like she could be touched but like when she she didn't want to be touched. You couldn't touch her. Like if she was upset, you couldn't touch Mm -hmm. her. If she was happy, she'd sit on your lap. You could hold her. You could hug her. But like, if she was not happy and didn't want to be touched, you couldn't go near her. So, so she, you know, a lot of those symptoms made sense with the sensory processing disorder. The autism didn't make sense from what we had known about autism, which is like the most severe Mm
4: -hmm.
2: autism that you could imagine you know it wasn't there wasn't all these varying degrees so I was in for a little shock when they diagnosed her obviously children's hospital knew a lot better they had more experience than these people did but even her doctor didn't think so so you know it's just funny but that one lady you know I only had it she only came to the house at one time and I'm like <laughs> clearly she doesn't know what she's talking about
3: <laughs> <laughs> get she out is of here, wrong. Christine yeah, yeah Christine yeah. Goodbye. She's
2: probably, I bet you she's <laughs> her name was Mary, and I bet you she's Christine's aunt. <laughs> we're
3: Mary. She's the, her mentor. Uh,
1: I oh think gosh. that's so interesting too because there's always a person, I think. Like for me, when we were at the very, very beginning of our process, I think I had just had Nora, and there was more talks around what was happening with Nixon at his Montessori program. There was more talks at early intervention, you know things were being thrown around, but no one was directly saying autism to us. And I asked, (laughs) I said, do you think this is autism? And they'd be like, oh, side glance, you know, like no information for you. But I had this wonderful, lovely attorney who I worked with, who had a son on the spectrum who was similar to Nixon, similar characteristics. She told me her story he, in Phoenix, they will diagnose at risk. And so Nixon got an at-risk diagnosis in October, November. I always forget the exact timeline, somewhere between the end of October, beginning of November. And um, she talked me through her experience. She told me, you know, so many nice things, like just said everything was going to be fine. Don't, you know, stress about this situation. Here's how it went for us. Just lovely. And, she recently passed away actually this year,
4: oh. but
1: she, it was so gentle and sweet and actually said to me, you know, if it is autism, it's okay. And here's how it went for us. And here's how I felt too. Cause I think, you know, one of the things I wish I had known is that it's okay to have feelings about this experience. And as you're going through the process, you're going to feel a gamut of things, you know? And yeah. I, Had already been through this once, and I was just as emotional, if not more, about my daughter's diagnosis than my son's. Mm -hmm. And it's still on the surface for sure. And, you know, it's okay if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling. And I think there's a lot of things out there about, you know, people in the autistic community who there's kind of a disconnect, I think, a little bit between parents and. Adults who are autistic, in this sense, where we have feelings about our children's diagnosis and the therapies and their experience. And but I can only see things through my lens, I can only know what I'm feeling, touching, seeing at a certain time. And for me, it was hard,
2: <laughs> and it's okay for anyone you, out there. You just go through a grieving process because yeah, you're going into a life that you didn't think you were going to be going into, in, and yeah. you're being told all these things. And for me, like from what I read. It knew of autism there was just no way I could even wrap my hand around that being my little girl yeah. and I think that you know and even so like my daughter's never gonna drive my daughter's never gonna get married my daughter's never gonna talk That's like tough. at 24 I can pretty confidently say these things you know she doesn't have the typical path that you think your children are gonna have where they go to high school and they have all these experiences so it's okay to be sad about that yeah. I, I mean- think
0: too. It's that with that stuff, you don't even like, it's not like, you know, you might hope your kid's going to be a doctor, but you don't think like when you have a baby, like, well, I hope they drive. I hope they graduate high school. I hope, you know, those are things you don't even think about. And then they're ripped away from you. And you're like, oh, I just thought those would happen. Yeah, you and don't now think, They might yeah. not happen. You don't even think there's a situation that's going to
2: bring that not happening and obviously there's other situations besides autism so in those situations all probably have a grief process too I think that I didn't know that you know what I mean I read about it afterwards and I was like well this makes a lot of sense now yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot and they can say oh you don't know what's going to happen which is true you don't know what's going to happen nobody has a roadmap nobody can look into the future my daughter's done things that she was never supposed to do so many things so many things so yeah people can't say for sure but when you're when you find out like who knew that they were i didn't know that there were kids that didn't talk like i didn't mm-hmm. know that was a thing you know? know and you're seeing this seemingly this little girl who's full of energy and she's running around the house and she's sassy and she's funny and yeah. you know she's so lovable and it's like you're thinking about you know all these things and it's a lot i feel like it really is it's heartbreaking You adjust to a new way of life. You adjust to, you know, how your child's going to be. And, you know, eventually you do accept it. And I love my daughter more than anything. She's a joy. You know, she puts a smile on my face every day when I walk through the door. But it takes time to get there. I would
4: say I grieve the child that was in front of me. Mm. I grieve the child that I thought I would have. Yes. So that was very hard for me. And it still is some days. It still is. Most days, actually.
0: I I think a big part for me. So my son, when we actually went to get him medically diagnosed because he had only been kind of diagnosed through school. Not even then was it like a confirmed thing, but to get services, you had to get medically diagnosed. And that's why we did that, which was right before five. We ended up, once we got off wait lists and everything, when I got that diagnosis, I still bawled. I knew it was coming. I remember it was like two days after Christmas and we had a, like a zoom meeting with the doctor. This was even pre COVID. They told us everything. And when they said I was kind of taken back by the severity, they told me level three and then a couple other things along with his diagnosis. And I just bawled and I went to go see little women with my brother and sister afterwards. And I cried the entire time. I just bawled and I was like, not crying about little women. (laughs) 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 It's a sad movie, though. But a a big thing for me was like, I never knew. I didn't see it coming. Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of you felt something or you really pushed for it. I felt awful because... I either was in such denial or I didn't like, I don't think this now, but at the time I was like, I don't have that mothering instinct, I guess, because Mm. I had no clue. It blindsided me. I believed everyone when they were like, Oh, he's just a boy. He's delayed. And I thought I failed as a mother right off the bat. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I felt that exact way. Jamie, (laughs) we were on the fence about getting him an early diagnosis because we had this idea that he would walk through his life with a diagnosis at a young age and we wouldn't be sure, which is just outrageous to think now, but I felt exactly the same way. I'm like, how did I not know? How did I not know that what we were looking at? And I felt the same way with my daughter. I really did. I felt like, what the hell, how did I miss this a second time? Are you
2: kidding me? You know? And I I remember just being so shocked because obviously Autism wasn't as known about as it is now, but all these professionals are telling me that they don't think she has it. And of course you want to listen to them. Mm -hmm. And she, I didn't think she had it from what I known about autism. So when she got diagnosed, It was such a shock for me. And I mean, it probably shouldn't have been as much of a shock, but you're going to listen to what people say when they're telling you what you want to hear. Yeah, it's just it was and I thought she'd be fine by kindergarten because, you know, people tell you, oh, you're going to do ABA and you're going to get this and you're going to get into school and you're going to get into a speech and she could still talk. You know, she's still so young. I mean, she was diagnosed at 2.2, which is, you know, pretty young then. Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, all right, she'll catch up by kindergarten and you'll be able to be with regular kids and a regular school and all that. And like, I really did think that for a short amount of time. I don't know. It's maybe your, my mind's way of protecting me. I don't know. Or you
4: could be me that talked the reception instead of booking the appointment because I didn't want to take her because I didn't want the diagnosis. So everyone, pediatricians, psychiatrists, <laughs> psychologists, everyone's pushing for this actual referral, which is through. Sunny Hill at the time, it was the only place that did the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I talked the receptionist out of it. I said, well, she takes me to what she wants. And I never, I never wonder what she wants. And she said, okay. And she ended up not booking the appointment right then. It it got booked again shortly after, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I talked her right out of booking it. It's so interesting. All the, all
1: the roads that we go. Mm -hmm. Rachel, is there anything that you wish you knew?
3: I wish, I wish I knew, like I said earlier, to trust my instinct a little bit better. I wish that people didn't shy away from talking about it. I wish that if they're like my, she's going to hear this, but my very best friend is my cousin and she has a master's degree in autism. And she was like, she's an energetic child. You know? Oh my God, look at this a terrible too started at 15 months. Oh. Like you really, you waited so long and look how much extra you got, like little things. And I wish that the school was like, I remember the second day I picked her up from daycare after we started Ritalin and they said to me, she spoke to her classmates today. It's the first time she's talked to her classmates. And I was like, I'm Celie Flanagan's mom. Like I'm, I, I think you might have the wrong kid. She talks all the day. She talks all the day. She talks all the damn night. Like, what are you talking about? It hasn't talked to any peers. And it turned out that she never spoke to another classmate. Mm. And you didn't tell me that, you know, I asked you every day, how it's going, how the day was, what you see, like how she's doing so it's, it's hard. Like I wish that there was a culture that change there. And I wish I had known to ask more questions and been more assertive. And I will also say going through COVID-19 that prior to the pandemic, all the discussion was about early intervention with our children. And then there's like this halt and I wish that I had built grace into my understanding of what early intervention is, what my goals were, whatever, because this has felt like a perpetual roadblock. And, you know, I, I just wish I had a more calm approach to getting help fast because mm. it felt like we lost so much more without, you know, having the paradigm shift, I guess.
1: Absolutely. I think there's so many feelings as a, as a parent, when you get a diagnosis, it's just so much that you go through and it comes back in waves. Like sometimes you'll be fine or you'll see a child as you're exiting a daycare, the same age as yours, speaking in full sentences and it'll just hit you. And most of the time my crying comes in the car when I'm driving home. For me, uh, personally, I can't keep it in once I get to the car, but it just hits you at different spots and different moments, and you almost can't control it. I wish that I had known that there were so many different facets of autism out there. And instead of going to Google, I wish I would have gone to other places where there were parents talking about it. I really do. Yeah. Because Google did not tell me D about this. (laughs) Didn't tell me anything about this, but as I talked to more parents, I learned more about what autism really is and not what Google, Dr. Google tells you.
0: So. <laughs> Our favorite doctor.
1: <laughs> Freaking Dr. Google. It's terrible. Don't do it. I do think it's so interesting too, with the different uh, landscapes for people that are listening. Like I have two children on the spectrum. Jamie has her firstborn, and then her daughter, who is neurotypical. Kim has her firstborn, who's neurotypical, then her daughter, who has autism, then two other kiddos who are neurotypical. And then we have Jen, who has one child on the spectrum, and Rachel who has one child on the spectrum, both girls, which is uncommon in this world. So there's all different landscapes of how your child, what characteristics of autism they will have as you, people always say it's a spectrum, which is where that comes from. <laughs> but also g- there are girls out there who are diagnosed with autism, even at an early age. We really and- should say that, that
3: we, if you're just learning yeah. about autism through us, certainly this is not a normal cross-section oh, just, of just, yeah. our community. Yeah. For us here, there are four
1: moms with girls on the spectrum, which is uncommon in our just- autism community. Okay. It's getting more common for girls to get diagnosed, but it's not nearly as much as boys because classic right. signs of autism on the checklist are usually associated with boys, not associated with the signs that we see in girls um, when they're diagnosed. So, Although just- our girls
2: have classic signs of autism. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yes. My daughter for sure has some class signs of autism and some not so classic signs of autism. So that's it. That's autism. That's our autism life. That's the signs we miss, what we wish we had known. There will be more autism coming your way because we can't help but talk about it here on this podcast. It's such a big part of our life. And thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for joining us at the table for episode four of our series, Talk Like a Mother. Make sure to join us for episode five, No reservations. You'll either laugh or you'll cry. Do it with the Table of Five. See you soon.